welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast, where we share with you the stories of ordinary women who have gone on to lead extraordinary lives. We're not just aiming to inspire you, but we're also hoping that you leave these interviews with tangible, actionable tips that will help you to lead your best life. Today on the podcast, we are joined by National Geographic Traveler of the Year 2014, Daylene Heck. Now, I've known Daylene through her blog, Hectic Travels, for years. I absolutely love her narrative style of storytelling that she does with travel blogging, which is pretty rare and unique for the sector. Now, she's a fellow Albertan, so, you know, I definitely had a lot of love for Daylene in that sense, but basically... About eight years ago, her and her husband, Pete, had gone through some significant loss in their family. And I will link to the entire origin stories of theirs on Hectic Travels. You can find that in the show notes. But basically, that they decided from going through that that they wanted to live a life with no regrets. And so they sold everything. Their house, their car, their possessions. And they began traveling. And eight years later, they are still travel bloggers. They are still experiencing the world in a way that many of us can only kind of imagine. And so talking with Dalian, we discuss sort of how this all came about, the Coles Notes version, and how they really made a business out of it, how they started Hectic Media, which is more of an influencer relations uh, program, what sets them apart. They talk about house sitting. And then recently in the past year, Dalian was actually diagnosed with leukemia. It was a, it's a really dramatic story that happened quite quickly and it's very lucky that they caught it when they did because Daylene was able to seek help in a timely manner that made all the difference. So we talk to Daylene about what that experience was like and how she's been adjusting to life in remission and how that's changed traveling and travel blogging and it's definitely a very emotional chat at then towards the end but her you guys her vulnerability and her sharing this experience is incredible and I know that so many of you particularly anyone that's going through cancer treatment at the moment or remission therapies or you're sort of dealing with that stage of things or you're a caregiver for someone going through this, I think you'll definitely relate to it. So today's episode is sponsored by my Airbnb account. If you have never used Airbnb before, honest to God, it is the way to travel. Basically, you're staying in locals' homes around the world, and that could be a room in their house that you're sharing, or you could be renting an entire space. Now, as someone that travels with a small child, or regardless, having access to a kitchen, potentially a yard, being being in a home environment as opposed to a hotel makes all the difference. When you're staying in a hotel with the child, when the lights go out, everyone has to go to bed. There is nothing worse on vacation. So if you are brand new to Airbnb, using this code, you will get $50 Canadian towards your first trip with Airbnb. So that code is www.airbnb.ca forward slash C forward slash V Smith seven eight. Again, airbnb.ca forward slash C forward slash V Smith seven eight. And you can also find it in today's show notes. So don't worry about that. You can link to it there. So you guys, it's basically $50 free travel Canadian, which could probably cover one night stay depending on where you're traveling. So a free night of travel, whether you or your friends just share this code and you'll get access to it that way. For show notes for today, you can go to girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 33 because we're on episode 33. Now, without further ado, let's head over to the interview. So thank you so much, Daylene, for coming on the podcast. We're really excited to have you. 
No, thanks for having me. So I've been aware of Hectic Travels for quite a few years now, but for those that aren't, I'm hoping that you can rewind a little bit for us and tell us how you came to be a travel blogger. To be honest, travel blogging, our, our travel blog was kind of born out of boredom. <laughs> My husband and I in 2007 had made the decision to quit our jobs, sell everything and travel the world. And when we finally got on the road in 2009, we spent a year bouncing around South America. And after that year, we settled slightly for a longer stint in Honduras on a small island called Roatan. And while we were there, we it sounds lovely and very desirable to go and live on an island, but you also find out that you can get pretty bored when you're doing that. Um, there's so many days you can spend at a beach. And so we had started by at that point to kind of stumble around the internet and find other people that were like us that were also recording their journeys on travel blogs. And so we pondered that idea. We had been running a blog spot for a little while just as a means to record the journey for our family and friends. But it was during that time in Honduras out of pure boredom where we thought, why don't we kind of up our game a little bit and see what we could do with this. So we bought our own domain, hectictravels.com. And ever since then have used that in order to record our journey uh, and appeal to a wider audience. We got on social media and all that other kind of stuff. But ever since day one, we've kept it pretty true to our first intent, which was just to make it a chronological narration of our travels and our lives. So we're not, we're unlike other blogs in that we don't often bounce around to different places or places in time, I should say. We stay strictly chronological and we, it's just a personal narration of, of the places that we find and the experiences that we have around the world. And I think that's so, that is also so unique from other travel blogs where it's tips and tricks and like top things to do and such and such. Like you guys, you are that narrative storytelling and the experiences and emotions you're feeling in those places, which must be how your, I mean, your audience just connect to you that way. Absolutely. And to be honest, it's, it's just our personal preference to write that way and to connect with our audience in that way. Those who write the tips and tricks or the top 10 things to do in Alberta are going to do be more successful in terms of getting eyes on the page um, just by the nature of how the internet works in terms of like clickbait headlines or SEO and that sort of thing. And so while we may not measure up in, if you if that's the measure of success, uh, we find it much more personal personally fulfilling to stick with what we do, and we also have such a great connection with our readers who feel like they know us. And so, for it's almost kind of again selfish reasons that's why we continue to do what we do is because we like it. Yeah. So we'll I'll connect to the I'll link to the blog post in the show notes. But you've written about what brought you to travel in the first place. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it was really, I mean, it's something that often people talk about, you know, getting in, sitting in a cubicle and, and dreaming of the last vacation and saying, oh, why don't we just sell everything and go travel, you know, and that seems like a, a good uh, solution, but a really difficult one to follow through on. And Pete and I had had those conversations for many years. We lived in and around the Calgary area, working downtown Calgary, and had those same dreams. But, you know, usually a glass of wine or maybe a bottle later, <laughs> we would more come to our senses and just realize that, 
you know, that's kind of illogical. We don't know anybody that has done that. And, you know, really, it's a crazy notion. Um, and then in 2007, we had a, a string of really uh, awful personal tragedies uh, where Pete's mom passed away and we found out we couldn't have kids and my sister passed away and other things. And it all happened within a four-month time frame. Um, and that really made us reframe our thinking and our conversations about what we wanted out of our lives. You know, Pete's mom had been retired less than a year when she passed away. And of course, my sister was only 34 and that was very sudden. And then especially with realizing that we couldn't have kids and what was our life going to be about? What were we working towards um, with our careers and whatnot? And so that we had one particular drive a couple hour drive from visiting our family in Medicine Hat back to our house in Okotoks where we really posed that question again and finally had run out of excuses not to do it. And that was that was it. We made the decision and a few months later we put our house on the market and it took a while to sell uh, but then we did and we were bought one-way tickets to South America so it was really the tragedy and just really thinking as cliche as it is to say life is too short we had learned that very dramatically and had that impact our lives so much so that we literally sold everything and got on a plane and while that's a huge step to take and and can be very scary i heard in an interview you said the thing that kept you guys going was the words that you would never regret it it was traveling was something you would never come to regret yeah those those well, it was like almost a year and a half between the decision and when we got on the plane. And as you can imagine, it's a roller coaster from being very gung ho about it to, you know, really thinking we are absolutely nuts. This is totally crazy. And why are we doing this? And when it got to those lower points, we would bring us back up just thinking, you know, this is a dream we've always had. Even if a few months down the road, we realized it was too difficult or, or we just didn't like traveling that way, we could always come home and resume a life in a different way. And, you know, that would still be a transition for us and a learning experience. And we would never, ever regret if it went, you know, just our travels were only two months versus you know, what they turned into, which was actually almost eight years. Yeah. And had you both been like inspired to travel like when you were younger, like we're watching travel shows or like was that something that was always on your minds? You know, honestly, it wasn't. I mean, we both grew up in Alberta, Pete in Edmonton and myself up by Peace River. And we never really got out that much. Um, you know, our parents, we, you know, worked really hard and but we didn't have a lot of expendable money. And I think we had taken one vacation um, as I was growing up, just basically driving around Alberta and dipping down into the States a bit. And when I first met Pete, he actually said, why would, would we need to go anywhere? We can just go camping every weekend. That was his thoughts on travel. But I, I knew that I wanted to see more. Um, I'm not exactly sure, honestly, where that came from. But we did a couple of, you know, all-inclusive vacations because that's basically what a lot of Western Canadians do when they do <laughs> travel is they just want to go lay on the beach for a week and have someone bring drinks, which is totally fine in certain circumstances. But And we had done that a little bit. And then we did one trip to Costa Rica where I wanted something more than that experience. And I remember talking to a travel agent about it and she looked at me completely blankly when I said I didn't want to do an all-inclusive, like she didn't know what to do with me. Um, <laughs> and 
so then I started doing a little research myself and went and booked the flights myself and, you know, booked some accommodations in different spots, non-all-inclusive in Costa Rica and arranged for the transportation ourselves and started to do that. And after we, we went on that trip and had such different experiences and were actually out and meeting some of the Costa Ricans and doing things we wouldn't have done otherwise, that really kind of turned me on to a new way to travel, that there's so much more to be seen and done. And that was a big turning point for us. Absolutely. And so you and I are from the same province, Alberta, and I have seen a lot of that in friends and family. I know so many people that don't even have passports and which blows my mind. But, you know, people that do the bus tours and, you know, Europe in a couple of weeks. And it's that I think it's people dipping their toes in the water and wanting to experience as much as they can in the short amount of time that we often get for vacation compared Mm -hmm. to elsewhere in the world. I mean, we're luckier compared to the States, but still two weeks a year for most people is not, doesn't give you as many opportunities to do that deep, slow travel that you guys are great advocates for. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and I get it, right? We've done those bus tours as well. And we we just did an all-inclusive and there is definitely a time and place where that makes a lot of sense. You don't want you know, you're on vacation, maybe you don't want the hassle of trying to arrange transportation. You want all that stuff taken care of for you. And I do get that. Um, And that can be very valuable. It's just stepping outside of that, though. I think so many people are hesitant to do that, yet they, I think they just don't realize how much more rewarding that kind of travel can be until you do it once. And then you realize how much more. And I think it can really hook you in for future travel. Oh, I hear you. (laughs) So when you guys started blogging, Mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like it was, it doesn't sound like it was with the intention of sort of monetizing and making it a profession. When did that switch happen? Uh, So when we started in Honduras, um, oh my gosh, that's just over six years now. So we had traveled a little bit without a more professional blog. It was still fairly new, the concept of travel blogging back then, and and we were at a pivotal point where we knew we wanted to keep traveling, but we weren't really sure how we would do that financially. So we had to get a little creative in how we would put, or sorry, what we would put our effort into in order to get some return and be able to fund our continued travels. I really kind of thought the travel blog would be more of a platform for some freelance writing for me. Um, maybe we could monetize it a little bit and bring in some side, in, like some side income, but really I was going to try to do a little bit more freelance. And then I quickly learned that I actually don't like that. And in the course over a few years, while we were trying a bunch of different things, the industry of travel blogging got a little more professional and travel industry started to realize that we kind of were a force in marketing that by working through us they could get access to a different audience than just posting an ad in a magazine or getting a write-up in a newspaper and stuff like that so then it's they started to get we started to get approached a lot more in terms of how can we work together and it's really evolved that way we still don't monetize our blog as fully as many others do or to its highest potential. And we do that deliberately. Um, We don't want our blog to be a running commercial of different things. Um, If, you know, we get dozens of emails a week of people wanting us to promote 
a variety of different things and we turn down 95% of it because it's just not a fit and we just don't want our blog to become that. So we're very selective in the partners that we work with and only where it really makes sense for us. So our, it's, I mean, we're much more, I guess, professional in terms of a travel blog than we used to be and it has evolved in that way, but we still have never taken it as far as we potentially could. But that's a deliberate decision and we're okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure when you were starting to say to people that you're your travel bloggers that you must have had some naysayers or people that didn't understand it or didn't believe it. What did you say to them? You know, honestly, I don't remember anything in particular of naysayers. I mean, I'm sure some people, I mean, most people keep that stuff to themselves. I think we've had family usually don't already thought we were crazy, (laughs) (laughs) but honestly, the family and friends that we have, 99% of them have been so incredibly supportive and I think it's because they know what we went through in 2007 and they can understand that that was pretty life-changing and so those around us when we made the decision to travel in the first place of course they had lots of questions and many of them you know didn't believe us until we actually got on that first plane but they also were very supportive surprisingly very supportive so I think a year and a half later when we actually started the travel blog that was the least crazy of the things we've done already (laughs) so there wasn't as much in terms of naysaying because that was just another step in you know these guys are kinda nuts they sold everything and traveled so of course they're gonna do some you know travel blogging seemed much less crazy to them I believe Well, and like what you're saying about selling everything, like you guys were minimalists before the trend was big. Yeah, I guess so. Um, We, right up until we sold everything, we sure weren't. Like we were those people that, you know, had the big house in the suburbs and, you know, the nice cars and all that kind of stuff. But it's funny when I think back on that time now, because I think about, I had so many rooms empty in that house that I could never commit to decorating or filling and I don't know what held me back but I think I always was a minimalist but just didn't know it Um, and yeah so when we sold everything to travel that really cemented it because we went from 2100 square feet down to I think 110 cubic leaders in our bag so that was a big transition yeah well and also when you say you were living in the suburbs like Okotoks to working in downtown Calgary is a huge commute like so not only were you working jobs that I'm gonna make a stretch here may or may not have been that rewarding but you know your commute time like quality of life can really go down when you're all that yeah yeah it was (laughs) it was that was you know Calgary is I grew up in a very small town, so Calgary is way too much city for me. And I like spending time there. I have lots of great friends there, and there's some really cool stuff to do. I couldn't live there. It's just too much for me. And I think moving to Okotoks was what we tried to do to get back a small town feel, but didn't even really find that there either because it is kind of a suburb of Calgary, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the uh, the borders are practically touching now. It's yeah. getting there. Yeah. You're really connected to the travel blogging community at large, both through Hectic Media and through your blog. What, in your opinion, does it take to be a successful travel blogger? Um, I really think success is very individual. We consider ourselves very successful with our blog personally, but 
if you were to go on amount of money earned, that definitely would not put us in that top category. So it ver- it varies on based on what you expect out of it. I mean, most people do this because they want to make a career out of it and they really, you know, put the effort into building up their platforms and all this stuff and, you know, the nice big floppy hat for Instagram photos. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so and what they'll then do is chart their success based on page views on their blog or number of followers on Instagram and eventually at the end of the day the amount of money that they're making. So if I get I think success is very different um, but at the end of the day there we also hear a lot about burnout and that can really happen because you have to be on basically 24/7 if you want to be an influencer and so I think people need to hold more to what is personally fulfilling for them and what is you know making them feel successful beyond the blog page views and the money in order to achieve that kind of success so as someone for me relatively newer to blogging the thing that i would hear over and over and again is that if you didn't start in 2010 you missed the boat do you feel that way or do you think like instagram and other social media platforms have sort of changed that a bit uh, yeah, I think it's all changing. Um, it's definitely made a difference. There's a lot more focus on social media, maybe than the blog itself nowadays. Um, I do agree with that to an extent. It's definitely a lot noisier out there. But I also believe that there's so much room for niche and and having specific niches. And I think the first iteration um, of travel blogs were these globally based, I'm traveling around the world, here's all my fantastic adventures, kind of like ours. And then I think kind of blogging 2.0 now is going to be more successful quicker, I guess, is to go more niche based and have local blogs that really facilitate nurturing a very strong audience with a strong niche for example having a really great blog about Alberta or whatever that is just very focused geographically or you know a vegan blog in Alberta even going even further that sort of thing I think that's kind of the next step in travel blogging that some people are are taking advantage of Um, as in terms of traveling around the world and recording it that way um, it's definitely a lot more difficult but I think that it's still possible as long as there's something new to be offered or there's a new strong storytelling voice that's one thing that's very missing as we've talked about with you know there's a lot of tips and tricks blogs out or blog posts out there there's less people telling stories and the industry is asking for that and as a company that also hires bloggers to work for travel brands, that's a struggle for us to find bloggers that are telling it narratively and really capturing emotion and story and going beyond the tips and tricks. And I don't think there's enough of that. And if some bloggers could start out with that focus and dedication, it's going to be a slower road to growth, but it's going to be, I think it'll pay off in the end and too many people are ignoring that. Yeah. And so let's switch gears then into hectic media. So I'm hoping you can tell us how it works and like when you guys decided that this was going to be a business for you. Yeah. So a few years ago, we were at a travel blogging conference and I think it was the biggest one that had ever been had. There was over a thousand travel blogs there in Toronto. And we sat down to have lunch and met a man next to us working for a small tourism board. And he 
rightly so, was very daunted. There was a thousand travel blogs in the room and he's like, we really want to work with people like travel bloggers, but where do we even start? How do we get through these thousand to find the ones that are right for us? Um, and he wasn't the first one to ask that question to us. There, that was a big concern was that there's just so many. And as a travel brand with a small marketing budget, how do I find the right ones? Um, so we, that, he was our very first client. Um, and we said, you know, we've been around long enough n now that we know a lot of these thousand bloggers. We know the right questions to ask because as much as some people don't like to believe it, bloggers can be a bit devious in how they show their successes, i.e. buying fans on Instagram for starters. So we knew the right questions to ask and we could do that process much quicker and more effectively than a lot of brands can who may be coming into this totally, totally new. So that he was our first client and, and that's when we kind of shifted gears. Also knowing that at that point, where we were in our own travel blogging career, like I said before, you know, we're not the most successful in terms of bring, monetizing it, but we didn't want to to do to take it that our blog in that direction either. So this gave us another way to also earn some income um, aside from the blog. So it was a big transition for us and very important because I also think we've made some really great strides in. Canada specifically by talking to different tourism professionals on asking those right questions and how to reframe their influencer marketing. Uh, we kind of, Hectic Media, we consider ourselves like not PR but IR, influencer relations. So very niche and very towards the travel industry and it, it helps us and the industry I think in many ways um, because we do kind of have that inside track and also want to be sure that you know, the industry is going to work with people like us in the long run with travel bloggers in general because they're making better, more informed decisions on who they're working with. Yeah. And so you consult with clients, but you also have a great ebook for travel organizations to on sort of like the basics of how to work with travel bloggers. Yeah. It was really kind of astounding to us that, you know, even one big tourism client who when we told when we, sorry we worked with them personally as Hector Travels and then when we were done here's an example we sent them a report of all you know this is what happened these were our page views on the blog post we wrote this was the real-time impressions and reach that we got on Facebook and all this kind of stuff and she was completely astounded by it and she's like I'm allowed to ask for this kind of stuff <laughs> and we're like you should absolutely be asking otherwise how do you know if it was worth it for you or the impact, the potential impact of it. So, you know, it's those kind of things that people just weren't even really aware or, you know, can I ask people what their page views are on their blog or, you know, nobody in our history of blogging has asked us for the break demographic breakdown of our fans on Facebook. And that always astounds me because it's so easy to get up to buy a lot of Facebook fans very cheaply from places that probably no brand in Canada really cares about. If I have 10,000 10, Facebook fans in Cambodia, is that going to help us when we're working with Travel Alberta? You know, Cambodia is not a target market for them. So why, you know, they may get excited about that number of Facebook fans, but not thinking where are they from? Are they even in our target market? So people aren't asking the right questions. And so the book was to also help 
you know, get to that for them and give them those tools because we really want these relationships to be valuable because that's how then the industry and bloggers will continue to work together in the future rather than them sinking money into a project and then saying I can't prove any return on that or I you know I didn't see any click-throughs to our site or anything like that then you know and then they just give up and say oh working with travel bloggers doesn't work so we really are trying to strengthen the relationship and the industry in that way. Yeah. And I would also say that that ebook is very beneficial for the bloggers themselves to understand. I mean, there's organizations they can join like Travel Blog Success, which we're both members of. But I would also say your ebook, they can read it from the reverse perspective of if this is what organizations should be looking for, what do I need to provide to them? Yeah. So it's a really cost efficient way for bloggers to figure out how to work with brands on the yeah, flip side. True. You guys were voted National Geographic's Travelers of the Year in 2014. Yes. That, how, how did you feel when you found that out? I was, okay, the, when my mom, my mom nominated us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like um, she joined, you, you helped her join Twitter. Yes. And unbeknownst to you, she. Yes. Con- she, she joined Twitter in, so that she could yell at Tell Us More. Uh, <laughs> So she was on it for only like a month and she realized she didn't quite understand it, didn't like it. But in that month, I'd followed some accounts for her and one of them is National Geographic. She found the call out for this Travelers of the Year award, which I I had kind of heard about before, but not really. And she sent me an email saying, I nominated you guys. And I was like, oh, you know, there's no way we're going to win that. Like, I know some of the, our one person who won it the year before and, you know, she's doing this amazing grassroots volunteering website and people that win that award are doing really cool stuff like that. We're just a couple of travel bloggers schlepping our way around the world. (laughs) And so I was like, there's no way. And then a few weeks later, we got a email from one of the editors saying we were a finalist and asking us a bunch of questions. And so we answered and we're still like, there's no way this is happening. And then when he sent us the email telling us that we had won, I was actually, we were in Mexico City and we had just completed an overnight bus ride there, which had given me a migraine. And I was in bed and Pete woke me up at five in the morning because he was awake and got this email and I was so out of it because I, you know, this headache and everything. And I just kind of rolled over and went back to sleep and <laughs> didn't think about it until the next morning. And I honestly was still in disbelief. I was still in disbelief. Like, was I dreaming? Yeah, yeah. Up until the point, like we had to keep it quiet for almost nine months. and. Up until the point where they sent a photographer to get photos of us for the magazine, I still didn't believe it. I was like, nope, they're going to change their minds and they're going to pull it. But then once they sent the photographer, I'm like, okay, maybe this is real. Um, It was, and the focus for them was on the fact that we were doing a lot of house sitting because it's not, you know, unknown these days, but that three, four, five years ago, less people knew about the concept of traveling around the world by taking care of people's um, houses along the way and that mutually beneficial relationship, um, collaborative consumption really of they go on holidays and we go and take care of their pets and have a free place to stay basically. And that was the angle that they took on it but I still didn't believe it. But anyways, yeah, that was a pretty incredible moment for us not only, I mean, it was a boost professionally for sure, but just personally, like giving us the affirmation that, yeah, our blog is a little different than others and stuff, but they wouldn't have given it to us if we were as, you know, a running commercial of different brands and stuff like that, if if they appreciated our story more than anything, and that's what helped us win. So it was a big kind of affirmation that what we are 
putting out into the world is meaningful. And that, that was very important to us. Oh, that's great. And just as a shout out for the listeners, you guys have a fantastic ebook on sort of how to get into house sitting. Uh, so I'll, we'll put the link for that in the show notes. So how did your life, personal or professional, change from that recognition? Personally, I mean, like I said, it was just very meaningful affirmation was how we took it. It just really kind of cemented for us the idea that what we're doing is worthwhile and that it's, you know, it's helping others and it, it just meant a lot to be recognized in that way. Professionally, I think it has also probably, I'm sure it has opened some doors for us in terms of our, you know, both hectic travels and hectic media that we are kind of the real deal, you know, and um, by the way we tell our stories and, you know, by the authentic way we try to relay that and authentic way we try to travel. And I think it's been a huge boost to us in that way. So in late 2016, this is switching gears a bit, but in late 2016, you and Pete noticed sort of a massive bruise on your leg that was unexplained. Can you tell us what happened next? Yeah, you know, we had been, we were just going along our lives as we had been for almost eight years. Uh, We were house sitting in Washington State at the time and woke up one morning and I was getting dressed and I hadn't noticed it, but Pete pointed out using a few expletives (laughs) um, that this giant bruise that I had on my upper thigh and realistically, I guess I could have bumped it, but it was so massive that it made, you know, it didn't really make a bunch of sense that I had this huge bruise and, and, you know, don't remember bumping it. I called you know, we're both Albertan, and my first instinct was to call the Alberta Health Link, which is a really great resource uh, where nurses answer the phone and talk you through any symptoms you may have and help you decide what could be wrong or if you should go to the doctor or not. And I, I didn't know what to do. Like, Pete kind of dismissed it. Oh, you must have just bumped it. Uh, but I called the Health Link, and they said, well, just keep an eye on it. And then later that day, I noticed I was just about to roll over and go to sleep. And I noticed in my mouth that I had it felt kind of like a canker sore inside my mouth a few of them and I mean I had canker sores ages ago but I didn't really you know when I was tired I was just gonna roll over and go to sleep and I thought I'm just gonna pop up and make sure what it is go and look in the mirror and they were actual blood blisters inside of my mouth um, and then I also noticed some uh, I can never say it right, Pity K, I think it's called on my lower legs which looks like a rash but it's actually little pinpoints of blood So I called the health link again, and I'll never forget the nurse's voice, but she was like, you have to get yourself to emergency. Um, So frantically, because we we were in an unfamiliar area, we had only been there a few weeks, we figured out where to go and found a hospital and was tested to find that my platelets in a normal human body, they're at 150,000, and mine were at 7,000, which is very dangerously low, which is why these symptoms of internal bleeding were showing up. Um, fast forward a couple days and many tests later and I was diagnosed with leukemia. So it, you know, thankfully 
I was close to home. I was an hour flight away. If we had been, if it had been a month later, we would have been in Japan and it, getting back to Alberta might have been much more difficult, if not impossible, because it was very risky. Um, but I got on the flight and I walked right into the Tom Baker Cancer Center in Calgary and they admitted me right away. And we discovered that my leukemia is a very rare version called acute promyelocytic, sorry, I always get that wrong. Um, which occurs in about 100 Canadians a year and is very dangerous in that early death, like within the first couple weeks after diagnosis, is very possible from internal bleeding. But they got me on chemotherapy immediately and started the treatment and I was in the Tom Baker Cancer Center for over three weeks. Um, and then, you know, we had to do outpatient treatment. Uh, after many, I think it was three months later, sorry, dates are still kind of fuzzy with me. Three, four months later, um, I had another bone marrow biopsy to see where I was at and found out that I was in complete remission. So that, you know, that was a very scary time in my life for sure. But I came out on the other side and the good thing about this rare leukemia is strangely enough, it has a very, very high uh, rate of success of cure. Um, so I'm on my way to the cure. Uh, I've had other bone marrow biopsies just confirming that I am doing well, that the treatment is working. And it's still going to be another couple years of, of different drugs to maintain that. Um, but, you know, we're very hopeful that this will be, this will not be the end of my story. <laughs> But it just goes to show, hey, like, I mean, how quickly that it happened there. I mean, there are people that avoid the, doc the doctor at all costs. Yeah. And, you know, you didn't go to bed that night, you know, just it's I mean, it sounds like in the space of a couple days, anything could have changed. So it's it, it's just so lucky that you made the decisions that you did. It really could have because those signs of internal bleeding, like if suddenly I had a brain bleed, I would have been gone. Like I've read stories of people that just wait a little bit too long and and then they can't, you know, they it's not the cancer themselves that itself that kills them, but it's something like the internal bleeding that it just gets too late and they can't stop it. So I'm very, very fortunate that I got to the doctor when I did and that also I was close to home um, and didn't rack too much of an American healthcare bill up. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, that travel insurance, hey, really oh, important to have. Huge advocate of travel insurance right here, yes. Yeah. But um, yes, I'm very fortunate for a number of reasons. Even, you know, as I sit here seven months later, still, you know, suffering from some of the side effects and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's we're very confident that I'll pull through this and, you know, and that'll be it. So... Given the the maintenance drugs and the and the side effects, how is that going to change? How is that changing your lifestyle right now for traveling? Well, we were almost eight years being completely homeless and traveling, and that you know it's possible that we still could have lived that way coming out of you know not being so dependent on having to be at the hospital all the time. But I do have to get still blood tests every two weeks and doctor's appointments at least once a month to follow up and all that kind of stuff. And I also just have dealing with fatigue a lot. So there's no way I could really, you know, maybe I could still live that homeless life, but I definitely, 
uh, would probably be more taxing on me and I wouldn't definitely enjoy it as much. So we bought a house and we are settled now in Lethbridge, Alberta, which is where a lot of my family is and my doctors are. And um, that's been probably the toughest part of this change is... Sorry. It's okay. Yeah, just um, obviously I still have a lot I'm dealing with. Yeah. Um, it's just having to give up that life that we loved so much. Um, not to say that life here is awful. I mean, we're with my family and there's lots to do in Alberta for sure. And uh, so we're still getting out and traveling. Um, it's a huge life change though. It's completely understandable. Yeah. And I think it's, I'm not looking at it from your scenario, obviously, I would take it from my own experience, but there's a season for everything. Yeah. And you'll get back to it. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it was just so unexpected, too. And um, it, there's other good reasons that we're here I think there's family members that need us right now as well and um, so maybe this is what we needed to, where we needed to be yeah and so maybe that's what brought us here and that's okay too so it's just and I know I'm trying to um, a friend told me who had not an exact issue but a similar kind of thing that she's going through and she said the way through it is radical acceptance and I realized that <laughs> and I'll get there um, yeah I just it's yeah I'm just still think I'm allowed to whine about it a little bit yet <laughs> absolutely absolutely you're you're stronger than you know yeah we'll see <laughs> so when people go through experiences like yours or really traumatic experiences a lot of what they say they learn is you know gratitude and you know living life no, with no regrets so I'd, I would imagine that's the same for you has is there anything else that it's taught you anything positive that's come from it you know I feel like I had learned that lesson last time yeah yeah <laughs> I don't know why I needed to learn it again um yeah you know what I think it's just I, I'm not done learning from this, you know, and I, you can say that about anything in life, you know, we're always evolving and we're always learning from our last experience. And this one is surprising me in a way, like even when I finished my in-hospital treatment, which over five months I spent 900 hours in the hospital. So that was a lot of time. And that last day when I should have been celebrating was probably my lowest emotionally um, just I think it gave me that kind of moment of you know when you you go through something really difficult a lot of times you kind of get this protective bubble around you you know so you don't think about it very much you just put your head down get the shit done and then worry about it later yeah. right and so I think when I got to that last day and I was just a wreck emotionally and um, it was just because I realized what I had just been through yeah really was hadn't dealt with it emotionally yet so that was and I'm still obviously dealing with that yeah 
So there's lots to learn from this yet, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm ready to even say what it is yeah. yet that I've learned from that. It's just, it's just an everyday, you know, it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm not ready on that one yet. Yeah, fair enough. Do you feel like you have a personal mission in life? Huh. Um, In a way, you know, I don't personally believe in setting goals, um, which may sound weird, but I kind of believe that that can detract from other things around you if you become focused on, you know, doing this one thing then other opportunities or other experiences that may present themselves to you if they're not exactly aligned with your goals um, may be ignored. And I would rather just experience or have those options open to me whenever they come to me, if that makes sense. But in terms, so in terms of a mission, I don't have anything very, you know, slated out for me. I think it's just more a matter of trying to get the most out of life that I can, you know, given I've been taught the lesson several times now about the brevity of life and how quickly it can go. And knowing myself, like when I think about the career I had in Calgary, not knowing, not specifically stating it, but my mission was really, okay, I'm going to climb this corporate ladder. I'm really actually going to make it my bitch because that's (laughs) just what I did. Right. And that I worked really hard and I, and I was rewarded for it and that felt very gratifying. Um, but at the end of the day, it wasn't really fulfilling me very well personally. And then the travel came along and that did. And I found that kind of what I got back from the universe when I was doing what I really loved was much more rewarding. And I also had a bigger impact. I have inbox full of emails I've gotten from people over the years from the travel, just saying, you know, you inspired me to travel and you, you know, to look at life differently and stuff like that. And that's really important. And can you imagine if we all just did what we really love to do? And we, so that we all had those inboxes of people that we had touched in a different way, how different the world would be. Um, so when you're, when I was just focused on climbing the ladder, I had some personal accolades, like, great, you did a great job on that project, but did I touch anyone at all with how I did that? I don't think so. So I think my mission then is really just to focus on doing what I love, because I think what, when that happens, if everyone could do that, then you can show, you can put more out to the universe that beneficial not just for yourself but for everyone else so I mean even given this new direction in life I'm it's gonna have to just what I do put out will have to probably adjust a little bit again but it's still something that I think is so important that people don't realize yeah so hectic travels you're you're one half of the hectic yes (laughs) um How has the last eight years changed your marriage? Wow, you know, it's in amazing ways that I never could have imagined. When we first started traveling, it it was very difficult because you go from living these separate lives where you're apart, you know, eight, ten hours a day at your job, 
and then you come home and you're both tired and probably cranky and you throw some food on the table you go to bed you start the next day and do the same thing but you had we had roles right love what we would do more traditional roles in our marriage you know Pete mowed the grass and I would do laundry whatever it was when you start traveling together it totally changes uh, those roles kind of get thrown out the window because you don't have the same things that you have to do every day. Also, you're not used to spending 24-7 with each other. And, try, and that way it can really break your marriage or it can make it stronger. And in the start, I think everyone probably struggles with that, just being around each other all the time. Luckily for us, it made us stronger. And um, it was bumpy at first, for sure. But then we learned what you know, what roles we fulfill for each other and that, you know, we do still need time apart. That's very valuable, (laughs) but also just, you know, how much we can rely on each other and just, we now work together 24 seven. We can build a business businesses together and do so successfully, which is not something a lot of people can say about their marriage. Um, he's, not just one half of our business he's literally one half of me and he would say the same thing um we're you know kind of inseparable through all of this and and uh he's just the kind of partner in my life that i mean it's a fairy tale thing it really is and we've been married for it'll be 16 years in october and it just keeps getting better that's, I highly recommend travel for couples. Um, <laughs> while my husband and I didn't travel eight years, <laughs> we did take a three-month uh, leave of absence from work before uh, we had our son because it was kind of that thing that we, we, like you said, we never wanted to have regrets. We wanted yeah. to spend that time together. And, yeah, we had those, we had those bumpy times too and the yeah. change of roles, but it, best thing we ever did. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just, and I know people that have done it and it's end of their marriage. Um, Or I have friends who said I could never do it because I know already it would end my marriage. But um, it's just, there's nothing that throws you really into a situation like traveling can. Yeah. um, And kind of force you to work together and get through it and stuff like that. So it's um, definitely highly recommended. Yeah. So we're going to move into just wrapping up with the, the five questions that we ask all of our interviewees. Mm. What are what are the things or the projects that get you really fired up and excited in a good way? You know, we're working on this one project right now that is so exciting to me. It's with the Canadian Badlands Tourism and with the Canadian icon Tom Jackson, where they, you know, and a lot of tourism boards have very specific measures for success in a campaign or they want a specific number of tweets and reach and all that kind of stuff and here comes the tourism board saying we care about stories and we want um, to hire some travel bloggers and influencers to travel with Tom and discover stories that speak to the spirit of the Canadian Badlands that is to me is this is a dream project I'm a huge fan of narrative storytelling and that you know, getting emotion out of a piece of writing, out of a photo, and all of that stuff. And here, the Canadian Balance are saying, yeah, that's what excites us too, let's work together on it. And this is a, definitely a dream project, and it, it's, it's the art of storytelling is something that is so often overlooked, 
um, and how well it can not just touch people, but even um, move the marker in terms of drawing people to a destination, which is their goal, of course. Um, so this is one that's really got me fired up in a great way, is just having that free reign to tr- tell really good stories. So as a storyteller, do you have a favorite book? Um, recently, I, I wish I had more time for reading, to be honest. I ha- I'll mention a couple. Um, my favorite book is The Signature of All Things by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, she is so much more than Eat, Pray, Love. Yep. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. Um, that is an excellent book. Um, and then I'm more of a historic-based writer, though, as well. And I re- really enjoyed Three Day Road by Joseph Boyden that I read recently. Oh, okay. Um, about a, it was set back in the time of the First World War and focused on two Native Canadians who fought in the war and about their life in, in Canada as uh, Natives at that time and also about their battle in, the, in their part in World War I, which is, was a really, really inspiring, great story. That's awesome. Do you have certain words that you live by? Not particularly I don't have a personal mantra per se um, there's one quote that sticks out for me from Chief Seattle though the take only memories leave only footprints as it goes to our travels um, and it's something I it sticks with me because I do struggle with it sometimes and I don't especially with the leave only footprints part because I believe it do- doesn't only speak to you know pick up your trash when you leave but how you deal with people when you're traveling when you meet them leaving a good impression on them you know, not the interaction with international people can sometimes be difficult based on different stigmas or even religious beliefs and stuff like that. So I think people, travelers need to be more thoughtful on how they leave footprints on other people. And so that's one that really stands out to me. Yeah. What is the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? I think honestly, it's the minimalism, I have to say, that we've learned while traveling and on it's something I struggle with right now that we have a new house <laughs> um, but is just to how little we actually need to live on and to not get caught up in the consumerism that surrounds us here in North America especially and so that's something that like I said I do struggle with now that I have my own home you know what do we need versus what do we want and that's something that is very important to me now and you know I don't know that I would have learned it fully without our time on the road but now just knowing how much happier we can be having less stuff around us yeah what does it mean to you Daylene to live your best life uh, to I, again I it's personal enjoyment it's doing things that I love again I'll say if everyone could do that imagine how much happier the world would be and how much more positivity there would be if we could all focus more. I mean, it, not everyone can make it a job, I understand that, but just really focus on the things that make us happy and put that out into the world. And for me, that's writing. For me, that's, you know, taking, my husband's a photographer, but I still try myself <laughs> and get really excited when I have a good one. So it's just about, you know, putting our best out into the world and and loving what we do yeah well thank you so much for joining the podcast no i'm really happy i did thank you thanks 
there are few people in this world that can be vulnerable publicly, that can share the hard times, the dark moments, the challenges that they've gone through in an honest, true way to allow you to have that me too moment, to allow you to connect. And Daylene is one of them. And you guys, she doesn't just do this through this podcast interview, but if you start to read Hectic Travels, it's not just a top 10 places to do this or whatnot. I mean, you actually won't find that on their blog, but she'll tell a story and she'll tell how it relates to her life or what she's going through at that time. She can connect to the humanity in people. And I was so grateful to be on the receiving end of that in this podcast interview. And I wish her and Pete all the success in the world. So if you want to follow them, you go to hectictravels.com. I'll include all the links to their blog, their Instagram. Uh, Also, we talked about their house sitting book, ebook, another ebook that they have on how to work with travel bloggers. So all of that is in the show notes, which is at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash three three. So you can find everything there. Don't worry about it. Now, next time on the podcast, two weeks from today, we're joined by Isabel Foxen-Duke. So Isabel is a health coach who's going to be talking to us about disordered eating, emotional eating, binge eating, and how we get through this process. Because the thing is, I interview ordinary women who go on to lead extraordinary lives, but so many of us still struggle with food. We struggle with our relationship to food, whether it's we think of things as good or bad. We eat emotionally. We binge eat. We pour soap all over food when it uh, when it's tempting us. I know I'm in that boat. I don't know about you. But so we talked to Isabel about all of this and what you can actually do tangibly to start repairing your relationship to food. So that's up next. Now, if you are enjoying the podcast, please go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for a new podcast like mine. It makes all the difference in the world and helps other listeners to find us. So I look forward to catching up with you guys in a couple weeks. Take care.